0: Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way, I wanna jump over the pack and here he comes! for the lead of Stengel. G they're good. Gee, they sharp. That's Razzle good, dazzle yeah. Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. t oh. From inside the centre square, time of day everyone i am benjamin castle i am ethan castle welcome to episode 130 of americans watching the Footy. and as we're recording this early thursday u.s time late thursday australian time we are celebrating a birthday it is Grind harambe the Footy cat's third birthday he gets a really special present today he's scheduled to go to the vet and that means he'll piss all over your car Oh yeah, really looking forward to that. How many layers of towels are you going to use? At least three, not enough. This is our round 24 preview. Only three true dead rubbers, but we know which clubs are the top four and we know three of five through eight. So there are a couple games in particular that will determine that last spot. And otherwise, a lot of the intrigue will come from retirements and sorting out where finals will be played. We know Collinwood are locked into a top two spot, and they can wrap up the minor premiership with a win over Essendon at the G. It's technically an Essendon home game at the typical Friday night time, 7.50 p.m. local, so 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific for us Americans. This is on Fox Sports 2, as pretty much every Friday night footy is. A pretty insane streak going on with this matchup. This will be... The sixty-first consecutive head-to-head meeting between Essendon and Collingwood at the MCG—that goes back to Round 19 of 1992. Of course, oh, very memorable game. You you remember that one, right? Oh, of course. Collingwood won that one by 22. Scored the only three goals of the fourth. Oh yeah, of course. I I remember that that play and that big performance by that that guy. Uh, actually, looking at the tables for this. Collingwood had four players whose last name started with Mick, which is pretty incredible. And they also had Saverio Rocca. The most amazing part about this streak, it is all in home and away play. They haven't met in the finals since they met twice in the 1990 series. And this is the 30th of 32 seasons in which they're doubling up. They doubled up in 1992, but the first meeting was at Waverly Park. For some reason, they only played on Anzac Day in 2016 and obviously 2020 they didn't double up. Bombers enter at 11 and 11. They're in 10th. They are officially eliminated from finals contention with their loss to GWS or well, they're technically mathematically still alive if they all you know all they gotta do, got to do is win by more, well over 100 points and have the Bulldogs lose to Geelong and have the Giants lose the Carlton by well over 100 points. So, you know, very very attainable. If they just send the West Coast Eagles in, on, in those other teams' places, it's possible. Or North. Collingwood are 17-5. and five. They're in first despite their loss to the Lions. A win or draw locks up the minor premiership for them. The only way they don't win the minor premiership is with the combination of a loss and a Lions win. Now, there are, you know, there's the very unlikely scenario of Port somehow making up, you know, like 12%. Hard to even entertain that. But yeah, if we're being technical, Essendon is the 10th team still in the finals hunt. And back on Anzac Day earlier this year, Collingwood scored all seven goals in the fourth quarter to storm home and win by 13. Nick Dacos had 40 disposals and two of the fourth quarter goals. The second one was the winner. He won the Anzac medal to nobody's surprise in front of the second largest home and away crowd ever at 95,179. I remember there was an amazing bit of numerology there on bounce involving that number. Uh, We've got some massive list changes for this week for Essendon as their season is virtually over. Six different guys listed as injured, including Matt Guelph, who was subbed out last week with a hamstring injury. The others, Joey Caldwell, Sam Draper, Jake Kelly, Jake Strayer, and Peter Wright. This could be one of those situations where you know it's like anyone with a minor injury, there's no need to push it. Coming in are Kane Baldwin, Nick Bryan, Will Setterfield, Will Snelling, Sam Wiedemann, and as the sub in what looks like his final game unless he unretires again, which would be awesome because the more of him, the better. I have a feeling that he's going to stick around at the club in some capacity, though. Or maybe it's some other club. I, I would imagine it's Essendon, but I mean, he was linked to Frio last year for a bit, but this seems more definitive. He's played, I think, six games this year. We remember the amazing reaction when he came on as the sub in the opening round against Hawthorne and kicked a goal there. Walla is good for footy, and he's the first player that we recognized. This will also be Darcy Parrish's 150th game. I don't think 150 gets you a cheering off, but if you want to piss off Kane Cords, go right ahead, especially if you get pummeled again like you did in uh, Merritt's 200th. It'll be the 100th game for Josh Dacos for Collingwood and they're bringing back Jordan Degoe and Bobby Hill. They're also bringing in Finn McRae as the sub for his first game of the year at long last. Don't know how it took this long for him to come in. Watch for him to request a move at some point. I forget exactly what his contract terms are, but I would not be shocked if he tries to join up with Jack at the Bulldogs at some point. Bo McCreary was suspended for a dangerous tackle. They just accepted that one at one game. Nathan Murphy, with a combination of back and glute concerns, is held out, as is Jacob Ryan, who became the second Jacob to be injured on debut this year. I am excited to see Mason Cox in the lineup again. He's listed on the interchange bench. I think it was great the way they used him last week. You know, his speed in the sub role was very, very, very fitting. Honestly, he seriously, he actually did well in that role. No, he was their best ruck. Scott Pendlebury really benefited from Mason's hitouts last Friday, so look for that to continue. He outdid Darcy Cameron there, and having Cameron and McStay both in the forward line has worked well for Collingwood a lot of this year, and especially against Essendon, go with as many talls as you can. We've seen how that's worked before. Collingwood are 31.5-point favorites. Those lines largely come from before. the list was out this could be pushed out further now that we've seen how many Essendon players are being held out of this game whether or not they're actually injured what does it take for Essendon to actually win this game Ethan? they just go out and play like it's their final game and just leave it all out there and don't completely shit themselves defensively I think it's going to be tough for them to play that uncontested back half game like they try to do even with McCreary out Collingwood should be pressuring enough and I hope Finn McRae seizes the opportunity once he's brought in as sub. Would not be shocked if it's Mitchell or Pendlebury who comes off just as a management or even victory cigar thing, even though they'll also be off next week. We got two games starting at the same time to kick off Saturday footy, and both are dead rubbers. But I think they're so intriguing each one. You can find some storylines as long as you put in the work. And as long as North don't tank like everybody knows they will, because but a Victorian team tanks, it's fine. Bring in a lottery. The Roos hosting the Suns at Blundstone Arena. That'll be, well, they're both at the exact same time, but 8.45 p.m. Pacific time on Friday, 11.45 Eastern time, and 45 locally. It's a Fox Soccer Plus game. The biggest question... Will North win a game, or will they drop a 21st in a row? They'll drop a 21st in a row. They won't trip over themselves, as many journalists, including John Ralph, have said. Seriously, though, a lottery is a great anti-tanking mechanism, and I would say this even if I weren't an Eagles member, give the bottom three teams the best odds for the top pick. Well, that would be interesting this year because there's clearly a bottom two. Anyway, North are at 2-20. The Suns, 9-13, they are in 15th after putting up a pretty good effort in their loss to Carlton. Game was scare there. These teams met back at Round 6 at Heritage Bank Stadium. I'm I'm more used to the new name now, but it's still Metricon to me, damn it. Uh, The Suns won that one by 43 behind a 5-goal performance from Ben King. Unfortunately, North did not rise to the occasion in Todd Goldstein's 300th game. Suns have won 5 of the last 6 meetings. You saying the thing about how it's still metric 2 you reminds me of the, the UniWatch shirt lie where it's like, I still call it blank for the old American stadiums. Like, I still call it the Jake for the Cleveland Guardians ballpark, etc. Obviously, some changes this week for North between Jack Zeeble having played his farewell game and co-captain Luke McDonald doing his hamstring before Dusty humiliated him in the ruse even more. Those two and Dan Howe go out of the side, while Miller, not Miles Bergman, Callan Dawson, and Charlie Lazaro come in. Blake Drury was the sub last round, and he's an emergency again. One of their players who made a debut this year. He has still yet to kick a goal, so I'd love for him to get that opportunity in the finale. Don't think there's really much to read into this here. I like both of the Bergman brothers. I want Miller to get steadier opportunities. Miles made the 22-under-22 team, and... A lot of Victorian fans in particular aren't happy about that because they don't see why Trent Rivers was held out ahead of him. I mean, it's a fan vote, and I'm surprised Rivers was out myself. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Berkman got the recognition, though, very strong first half of the season from him and had that three-goal burst a couple weeks ago. It seems like a lot of it's off of name recognition, you know, Bailey Smith and Sam Bocconi getting in on down years while someone like Ollie Henry, who had a really good season, didn't get in. So I wouldn't look too much into it. Bailey Smith getting in over Jason Horn Francis is not right. On the Sun side of things, Alex Davies is playing for the first time since round 14. Darcy McPherson was the sub last week. He's back in the 22. And Chris Burgess, who I just had to Google to make sure Chris is indeed his first name, is playing for the first time since round 15 in 2022. Yeah, he's done very well in the VFL this year. He and Brody McLaughlin lead their goal count on 51 each, I believe, and so I wonder if some of this is keeping the guys playing in the twos fresh, keeping them on a game schedule heading into their finals. They're at the minor premiers in the VFL taking that on percentage over Werribee. I want one of the standalone clubs to win it, and obviously Werribee's the best chance at that. Rory Atkins, Bailey Humphrey, and Jack Lukosius has come out. It's an Achilles injury for Vinda, a finger for Bailey Humphrey, and Atkins is omitted. Interesting. Yeah, um, maybe they want McPherson to take up more of that carrying role. Not sure what Stephen King really is going to be offering up here at this point. Obviously, this will be the last game he is coaching for the Gold Coast Suns. Dima's tenure officially begins following the round. It still feels weird to me, even though it's been a few days looking at that presser and those photos and seeing him wearing that Suns polo. Suns favored by 25 and a half. I get the weird feeling that it'll be closer. Yeah, I'm, I mean, this game—you could tell me like pretty much anything, and I'd say, yeah, sounds right. Anything other than a North win by more than three goals, I could see on the table. Because again, if North win this game, it'll be an accident. They have the chance at getting the top four picks. Well, one of them will be a bid on Suns Academy kid uh, Jed Walter, but still, they have they have a chance if if Ben is offered enough money for them to really clean up at the top of the draft and. Obviously the Eagles beating the dogs helps with that. I don't care too much about one player in the mix of things. It would be nice for the Eagles to get Harley Reed or the top Western prospect and Daniel Curtin. I just find it incredibly funny that the Eagles are players in this whole race between eighth and ninth, and that they've beaten both teams in eighth and ninth this year. As for this game out by Hobart, whatever happens, happens. I can you know what? Is this the game that Levi Casbolt finally kicks five? I don't know. I just realized. My guy, Caleb Graham, did not get a game all year, which is kind of hard to believe. Hard to believe in a lot of ways, but also Charlie Ballard elevated to one of the best intercept defenders in the league this year. Has some trouble against some of the more physical targets. And with Lockie Weller reemerging before he did his ACL again, that definitely took up some game time for him. Joel Jeffrey moving to halfback didn't do Graham any favors there. We're big Joel Jeffrey fans as well. It's a tough list to crack at the AFL level, and I hope all of them get opportunities again. We'll see how Dima values them. So at the same time as that game out on Tasmania, you've got Hawthorne and Frio playing at the G. This is the Sarong and Ryan Derby. I feel like we need, let's see, uh, the Sarong-Ryan Showdown Rumble? Ah, uh, I'm not gonna use Showdown. Skirmish Rumble. The Sarong-Ryan Standoff Rumble. okay. I'll take it. Brothers Jai and Caleb Sarong, Jai into the 22 for Hawthorne for the first time this year, had been going well in the VFL, but was sidelined for a couple months with pericarditis. And then Brandon Ryan is back in for the Hawks, which means he has the chance to match up against his cousin Luke, like I've been wanting. It's a dead rubber. Hawthorne really doesn't have anything to play for. They're locked into 16th. The Dockers can shuffle a spot, but I want the Sarongs and the Ryans to play on each other and that's the biggest thing I want out of this game. I look forward to the playful shoving between them when they get lined up with each other. Which one of Jai or Caleb is more likely to say, "My dad fucked your mom last night"? Ooh, I I don't know them personality wise well enough to to really say, but I just hope at least one of them says it, if not both. I think was that a? I think that was Michael Voss saying that to his brother. Yes, gave me all sorts of newfound respect for Voss after I learned that that was his line. So Brandon Wright and Jai Sarong are two of the ends for the Hawks. Jai Newcomb is the other after experiencing some hamstring tightness on Sunday and being a late out there. That was a little out of Henry Hustwaite to debut, and he's been kept in. I approve. Yeah, he looks solid. I think he's proved he's very much an AFL caliber player so far. He'd been in the mix for a while. I like that the Hawthorne are giving the youngsters a lot of chances this year. I mean, that was kind of the whole point of this year, and... They still ended up with about as good a record as they had last year. I know a young shoe that didn't get a game for them, and it's still pissing me off. Hey, Cooper Stevens wanted it. Deborah Granger-Barass, Ned Long, and Max Ramsden go out for the Hawks. Unsurprising that Ramsden especially is out after he was subbed out last week, but did an all right job playing on Max gone. So between Ramsden, Ned Reeves, and Lloyd Meek, you got an interesting situation there with the ruck stock. I still want to see Reeves have that time as a center-half forward, even though he's proven himself in the ruck this past month or so. For Frio, Joel Hamling is back in, along with Michael Walters, who missed last week with a calf injury. Neil Erasmus is listed as an emergency again. He was a sub last week, so I guess it's unlikely for him to pick up that Rising Star nomination then. Bailey Banfields out after injuring his AC joint, and Jager O'Meara, who got subbed out last week with a calf injury, has seen his season come to an early end. Solid campaign for him. For the things that have wrong, gone wrong for the Dockers, I would not list him as one of them. It took a couple months for him to hit his stride. It was really in that round eight meeting against his former team here, the Hawks, where he really found his form again. That was a very nice 69-point win for the Dockers out at Optus Stadium. He also had Luke Jackson really finding his form there, having that center half forward time while also pinch in the rug. A great all-around game from Sean Darcy as well. Obviously, his season came to an early end against Collingwood. There was a lot of Frostball in that affair as well. And, I mean, let's see how much longer we end up seeing Frostball. Next year, probably, who knows after that. Get used to hingeball instead of Frostball. Here's the crazy thing about these teams meeting in Victoria. First time they're doing that in over a decade. You have to go back to round three of 2013 at the G. They've played 12 times since. Eight of those being out west, five of them at Optus Stadium and three at the old Subiaco Oval. And all four of Hawthorne's home games against Frio between 2013 and this coming Saturday were in Launceston. And this home and away streak, that is, because they did meet in the grand final in 2013 at the G as well. How do you not have a grand final rematch at the G when one of the teams is Victorian? When the other one's not? I guess, you know, it's one of those games where, like, you know, they try to put the ones in Tasmania that aren't the biggest draws, but I guess... Straight off of the grand final would have made sense. The Dockers have won the last five meetings head-to-head, head, but it's Hawthorne who are seven and a half point favorites at home. I have no idea what's going to happen with this game. I think there's a chance one of these teams comes out ready to play and the other super flat. I would find it more likely Hawthorne come out ready to play. I don't know, after the way they've played the last couple weeks, I also wouldn't be surprised if they delivered a clunker. I, I don't know. This could be an interesting game, and it's a shame there's not much online because the footy could actually be a pretty fun watch. Could be one of the most competitive midfield battles really all season with both Sorong's in there, Newcomb, Brayshaw. I could see this becoming a finals matchup again in the near future. I hope it is anyway. I, I could see Alphorn getting there as early as next year if injuries are kind to them. Brio, I mean, we knew they'd take a step back this year, maybe not as dramatic as this. What does it take, you think, for Frio to get back to finals within the next couple years? I think just rediscovering their identity, um, maybe some better health or reinforcements defensively. Maybe Heath Chapman's absence this year ended up actually hurting more than we realized, because we've said they've had some serious issues defensively. Chapman only managed three games this year at AFL level, was subbed out in the Dockers' home Western Derby. And yeah, I think his place in the lineup as maybe a mid-size intercept defender was really undervalued. And now I need to go into the bathtub again. I'm also keen on watching Tom Emmett in his second game, having him and Sonny Walters in there. We'll see how they navigate that. Emmett came in for Walters last week, earned some free kicks, kicked two goals on debut, good attack of the ball. Maybe that frees up Walters to play a bit more outside and more of a pocket. We'll see how they navigate that. Your midday Saturday game is one that, thanks to an upset last week, has a little less buzz around it and could end up being not quite a dead rubber. It's not a dead rubber. Still, a home qualifying final is on the line for the Lions. And I guess for the Saints, they could be fighting for a home elimination final. Yeah, I mean, especially because there is a decent chance that with a loss, they could end up going to New South Wales. So yes, Brisbane hosting the Saints at the Gabba. This one will be your 4.35 p.m. Saturday afternoon slot. That means 2.35 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, as well as in the tropical paradise of St. Lucia. And Friday night for us on the West Coast at 11.35 p.m. St. Lucia. I remember somebody, one of our favorite athletes, who ended up an Olympian for St. Lucia. Do you remember who I'm talking about, Ethan? Yeah, Javid Best. Let's see how many of our listeners, other than John Roberts, Hi John, I have no idea what to expect out of the Seahawks this year. Remember who Javid Best is. A great running back who unfortunately had his career derailed by concussions starting from his time in college at Cal. One of the most exciting athletes we've both had the privilege of watching in person. I thought you'd go with like somewhere way further out. I thought you were going to mention something about Bhutan or are you saving that for... I just literally click random country generator and that was what it gave me so that's what they do out here the lions are 16 and 6 in second after defeating collingwood at marvel stadium last week because of course they beat them at marvel if they'll be able to at the g it would probably mean they win the flag saints are 13 and 9 they are in sixth after their win over the cats these teams met in round 15 a 28 point lions victory Four goals one for Eric Hipwood, nine intercept marks for Harris Andrews, saving him from Gil's wrath, and Jack Payne shut Max King out. He will not be able to do that this time because King's been managed. That's right. Max King has been managed. Your face. It's an ugly face. So I guess he'll have a three-week gap in between games. In his first four games of this season, he had kicked 13 goals before Jack Payne held him without one. You mentioned Hipwood had a good scoring performance. This will be his 150th game as the Lions look to extend their head-to-head streak against the Saints to four. Not many changes for Brisbane. Jared Lyons returns to the 22 with Lincoln McCarthy coming out with a cap injury. Guess that means Cal is right to go then. That's good. Achi, struggling to find time this year, says a lot about the kind of depth that the Lions have because he's a pretty versatile player. I end up mostly seeing him as a mark on the weighing of the boundary. But his aerial skills can make him valuable in all sorts of situations, and we have seen that when he's gotten games as of late. He can play as a halfback, he can play midfield, he can play forward. It's a type of player you could really use going into a finals run. And as for Jared Lines, just a couple years ago, he was in the top 10 for the Brownlow. I think maybe some of the younger pieces coming in has squeezed him out a bit, but another piece to be able to still get some time in September. Other than King, the Saints also will be without Seb Ross. He hurt his hamstring. Again. Hunter Clark is elevated from the sub role of the 22, and Jack Hayes, excuse me, Jack, 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 Jack! will be playing for the first time since 2022, round six, back from his ACL injury. Congratulations. Good to see him in there. Mature age ruck forward listed as full forward in this game, which is unsurprising given Rowan Marshall's also in there. This is really the first time all year then Marshall has actual support in the ruck. So we'll see what kind of ruck and forward time he ends up having. I could see him actually sliding back into defense a decent amount to be able to create some more direct one-on-one matchups against the Lions' talls, having him back there along with Cal Wilkie, Liam Stocker, who will be playing his 50th game. Seeing less out of Josh Battle as of late, I think Battle playing well is imperative if the Saints are going to keep this close, if not win this game. But yeah, Hayes had a great start to things last year. Kicked three on debut. Six goals in his first five games before doing his ACL. Went through an extended rehab with Sandringham as well. And I hope he makes the most of this opportunity. We'll see how long it is, too. Max King's management, I think, is allowing this to happen. Lions favored by 29.5. I think that's a bit high, but I think it would be really funny if they finish the year perfect at home and then drop a final at home or something, which I could totally see happening. I could see them going out straight sets after they win all 11 home games, which would be pretty frustrating considering how high their ceiling is. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be completely blindsided if it did. Now they're matched up against Port in that first qualifying final. That's a mashup that has really depended on the venue. So super valuable for them to win this game and clinch home field advantage. Two games late Saturday, as usual. The game that Americans will be able to see on standard TV on Fox Sports 2 is a game that still does carry importance. Geelong and the Bulldogs out at the Cattery, 525 a.m. Eastern, 225 a.m. Pacific for us, Yanks. 7.25 p.m. local time down the highway. These teams are just half a game apart, but two places apart, with the Cats getting eliminated from finals contention after their loss against the Saints last week. They're in 11th at 10, 11, and 1. The Bulldogs at 500, 11 and 11 in ninth after losing to the Eagles. These teams have already met once this year. Round twelve at Marvel Stadium, where the Cats beaten an accurate Bulldogs team by twenty-two, thanks to huge game from Mark Blitzobs and then Gary Rowan serving as a spark plug. Cats have won five meetings in a row, and I believe I think it's like twenty out of twenty-three or twenty-one out of twenty-four overall. But here's my favorite stat: they've won sixteen straight home meetings against the Bulldogs, which includes eleven at Cardinia, three at Marvel, and two at the G. That includes two finals. That's the biggest reason I want to win, just just to keep that run going. And also to give the Giants a final spot. Yeah, I mean, if you lose, it's not the worst thing. Could help with draft position, makes the final game of the home and away season more intriguing. So kind of a win-win, honestly. I'm intrigued by all these changes for the cast. Best news of all by far is that 2021 number 24 overall pick, Toby Conway, the six foot nine Rockman, will be making his debut. He played really well against Matt Flynn last week in the VFL, and I am excited. Another Geelong Falcon-turned-cat. Lot of changes this week. Coming out are Hannah Broom with some sort of History. some Yeah. We don't know what, but something. Jeremy Cameron just had surgery on his AC joint and posted some really good stuff to Instagram. Whacked out on painkillers. Brad Close hurt his hamstring. I thought it was an ankle thing, but Mitch Duncan suspended. Tom Hawkins, no need to push him through that hamstring, and Asava who injured his other hamstring last week. Basically, if you have any sort of minor ailment, there's just no need to put you in there. It's it's about getting healthy and rehabbing for the 2024 season. So, Ollie Dempsey, who's played very well in the VFL, gets in. Mitch Nevitt, same deal he's in. Sam Menegola playing for his first time since round 22 of the 2022 season. O'Sheen Mullen is in and Reese Stanley will be able to go. I'm surprised that he's in there, but I guess it's just there aren't that many options considering that Brandon Parfitt's in after spending three weeks as the sub and only being good in one of them. I think mostly Chris Scott does still want a decent matchup against Tim English and you'll need to split time against him. So I imagine it's Stanley and Conway there with Shannon Neal maybe getting some of the action in the 450. I guess Neil will probably be more of a resting full forward, though I could see Stanley splitting some time there. Yeah, he's got decent enough hands. I'd like to see Neil's job be, you know, kind of like take Liam Jones out of the equation as much as he can. As we saw last week, and as David King said with the numbers that he gave in that game against the Eagles, Liam Jones is really compromised as a defender when he's locked into a one-on-one Out of the 100 defenders who have been forced into the most one-on-ones this year, he's a bottom-half defender when he got someone playing right on him like Jack Darling did last week, so I would love for Shannon Neal to get that job on him. I'm a little surprised that Zach Toohey is listed as an emergency. I thought he'd be in to begin with. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up as the sub. It would be cool, you know, whether or not it's his last game with the club, he would get a nice ovation. Obviously, it is Isaac Smith's last game. But it is also Jack Bowe's 100th game, and it'll be, I assume, pregame. They'll also do something to send off John Segler, who's retiring. Unfortunately, we only really got to see the little remnants of his career because there was a time when he was a very strong Ruckman. This year was not that time. On the dog's side of things, we learned this week that Josh Bruce is retiring. I saw it coming after he injured his other ACL. We still disagree with the decision to move him to the back after his initial ACL surgery compromised his mobility in the first place. One of the rare times where Luke Beveridge actually made a change, and it wasn't a good one, so make of that what you will. Three ends this week for the Bulldogs, Hayden Crozier, Toby McLean, and most importantly, Tom Liberatore returning out of concussion protocol after Gary Zimmerman made that very quick call a couple weeks ago out in Bonceston. Who gets the job on limit, you think? I don't know. I'd love to see Nevit get a chance at him. I, I would think Tom Atkins is the most logical matchup, though. Atkins at stoppages, maybe, or, or everywhere. or It depends on really how you deploy Mark O'Connor then, because O'Connor, I could see running with Bond and Pally. Yeah, I think that would make the most sense. And then maybe if Atkins comes off, you have Brent Parfit try to give it a go. That's the sort of thing that if this was a game that mattered for us, I would be like screaming about, but... Yeah, with nothing on the line, it's just kind of like yeah, let's let's go see what we can do. Second straight year that nothing's on the line for the cats in their home and away finale. Just very different circumstances there. And this time, there's something on the line for the opponent. There's something on the line, big time. There, the dogs again in ninth. They've got to win to keep their finals hopes alive. And they have lost a couple important midfield pieces. Jack McRae experiencing delayed concussion symptoms after the Eagles game. He was subbed out in that one in the fourth quarter. And then Bailey Smith is out with illness again. Wonder if he never got over what was ailing him initially. Not sure there. But Smith has not been used in the right spots this year. We know that his name had been linked to Geelong, but the price is probably going to be pretty heavy, especially with the Cats having a better draft position this year. So I don't think anything's going to come of that personally. Taylor DeRay is also out. He was suspended for a rough conduct on Jamie Cripps in the fourth quarter. Didn't really slow down Crips, considering he kicked five goals. The Bulldogs are eight and a half point favorites. A very rare occasion where the Cats are underdogs at home. Is this game won and lost in the midfield? Probably, but we have a weird history of not getting completely overrun there. And it's it's going to be kind of weird looking at this game with like you know considering how important it is for the Dogs. That for us, it's kind of like yeah, you know, it's kind of like a preseason game. Just like, it's something. I mean, if you win, cool. If you don't, you just want to see good individual performances. One thing that I'm remembering from the earlier meeting this year was that that game turned when Ed Richards went up with a hamstring injury, and obviously he's healthy now, and when the dogs have been at their best, he's been a big reason why in the defensive half. I am going to mention one more time the first of the two meetings from last season, Oh, was that the one where Tom Stewart got concussed? Yes, Tom Stewart got concussed. Cats held on. Grian basically had to play halfback and did a great job. That was that was a great win. So it will be cool to get one more like fun uplifting win over these guys. And again, I just want to see the Giants in finals. So even if the drama's taken out of Sunday, I want to see the Cats win for that reason. We're on Twitter at AmericansFooty. Personally, I'm at Castle Media. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01, and Grian Harambe, the birthday boy, is on Instagram at cat named Brian. During the break, he was very, uh, bitey toward you, Ethan. He was the big one. I call the big one bitey. And how did you fix it? Found him a spider. It was a small one, but it, it, it was enough to captivate him. I'm a hunter, but I'm a silly hunter. All right, we continue our round 24 preview with another dead rubber. It is the Saturday Nightcap. Now, this one starts 45 minutes after the main Saturday night game, and that's because it's out west. Yup, the Eagles and Crows out at Optus Stadium. This game should mean something. Thanks to goal umpiring, it does not. But uh, yeah, all sorts of time zones to take note of here because it's 6.10 p.m. local in Perth, or Burstwood technically, 7.40pm for South Australians, 8.10pm for Victorians and others in the Pacific states of Australia. For Americans, 6.10am Eastern, 3.10am Pacific on Fox Soccer Plus. This is a big deal mostly because it's the chance for the Eagles to farewell Shannon Hearn and Luke Shuey, their two most recent captains, their Premiership captain and Norm Smith medalist respectively. Also a chance to farewell Nick Natanui and likely a chance to farewell Adam Simpson. As we've both said, it would be much more proper if we, you know, it was communicating coming into the game, or at least for the team to know. If it's going to happen, I hope it's, like, one of those things where, you know, it's like everyone knew Joel Selwood was retiring. and well, like, the, what the players definitely did. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't told, like, too many people other than Chris Scott, but, like, it was, it was pretty clear. I think he told the playing group at least ahead of the grand final. And if you didn't know before his goal, you saw the reaction from that—not just for him, but from Britt and his brothers—and you knew. Yeah, so it would be nice if you could, you know, if this is the end for Adam Simpson, I I hope he gets a nice send-off. Ah, uh, yes, twenty eighteen West Coast Eagles premiership coach Adam Simpson. Oh, and these must be bugger boots. And expecting the Eagles are off the bottom of the ladder because they. They defeated the Bulldogs. I still crack up thinking about that. It's pretty damn funny. It's funny that they lost themselves the number one pick. It's funny that they have a chance to still be a huge player and who makes the eight because of it. There is definitely some Lovey Smith energy here in like the best possible way. You can't tank us. I quit. But the Eagles are at 3-19. They have exceeded last year's win total. Yes, they have, and we'll see if they have anything to play for. I think they're going to go out and play for... For Hearn and for Shuey. In the unlikely event that North Melbourne win, I don't see them trying nearly as hard. I hope that the Suns do win that game in Tasmania so the Eagles have nothing to play for other than their retiring players. The well, Crows sit in 13th and are the best 13th place team in my memory at 10 and 12. I think they're in the best 13th place team in a lot of people's memories, like people that have been watching the sport a lot longer than we have. It was a 122 point Crows win when they met at the Adelaide Oval in round 13. That was Taylor Walker's 250th game, and uh, as Dwayne Russell said, the Texas 10. He was the first to even kick nine goals at the Adelaide Oval, and he became the fourth crow to get to double digits. That was that stretch where the Eagles lost back-to-back games by like 200-something combined. It It was a lot. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was a lot. We don't need to get into that now. The Crows have won the last three meetings, and they'll be bringing Lachlan Gallant and Patrick Parnell back in. Luke Pedler returns to the 22. Injuries to Shane McAdam and Rory Sloan have taken them both out. McAdam, a cheekbone injury after the Tom McCartan bump where the suspension was overruled, and seems like the widespread reaction from that is disagreement. I thought it was going to get reduced to one game. I'm surprised, but I'm not, like, bothered by it. Collisions are going to happen. Ugly geometry will happen. Yeah, and, and and I the fact that McAdam had kind of dropped into the contest at first is why well, I'm totally okay with it. It's an eye injury for Rory Sloan. There was some friendly fire there last week. Not a huge fan of Riley Philthorpe being demoted. I wonder, maybe is some of that for sample finals eligibility? I have no idea. But he has not played as well as of late. He's a strong contested mark. I think maybe in the top, 10 or 15 in the league there, but his taking leaves something to be desired. It's going to be the 100th game as well for their ruckman, Riley O'Brien, who is a lot smarter than you think he is based on just the way he plays footy. I mean, he plays like you know, just some big dumb guy. No, he, he's going to be a doctor. He'd probably already do better concussion tests than Mark Fisher. The Eagles bring back Brady Hoff, Luke Chewy, and Shannon Hearn. Looks like Zane True is listed as an emergency again. No Campbell Chesser, no Jermaine Jones, and Elliot Yo hurt his hamstring again because you know we don't even need to get into the whole bit. It's it's been established. I'm still going to play the glass bones and paper skin thing. You really don't need to. It's been established. The uh, Crow's favored by 29 and a half. I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Um. I think the Eagles play with some pride and dignity and don't get absolutely shit house. Kind of like they did last year for the finale for Josh Kennedy. Yeah. Except I I don't know how they're going to try to make sure Hearn has a thousand touches and you know he's got to get at least one goal. Well, it would be amazing because he scored a goal in his first game. It may have been his first kick. It was a bomb from like 60 meters out too back in Subiaco. I imagine they'll try really hard to get both Hearn and Shui a goal. I would love for Zane True to be the sub again. Had a great impact last week. Kicked a goal himself. Helped set up another. Didn't get an assist, but a really important tap to Tim Kelly who got the assist. And then... He was the inspiration for our episode art, which I think was one of my best jobs yet. The fact that I got a photo of him sticking out his tongue as well makes it even better. Go look at it again if you haven't, you'll pick up on it. Sunday, 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 no overlaps. Wait, what? Yeah, uh, Port Adelaide hosting Richmond at the Adelaide Oval to kick things off. Just in general, I mean, back a few rounds ago when this schedule was created, a lot more drama was expected So that's why it's a very odd schedule for this round. Uh, Turns out a lot of that drama already happened last weekend. I mean, there's possibly something on the line here. The Power could at least be playing for third. They could be playing for second. If the Saints beat the Lions, as unlikely as I think that is, yeah. There's also, you know, a world where Collingwood lose by like 100 and Port win by 100 and then and the Lions lose or tie, and then Port wins the minor premiership. But more likely, it's just going to be about third versus fourth, where Port enters Sunday's game four points ahead of the Demons. Port at 16-6, and they are in third, having beaten Frio. The Tigers, 10-11-1, they are in twelfth after beating North. So this game gets underway about 40 minutes earlier than our usual Sunday opener, which I'm a fan of. So noon locally at the Adelaide Oval, 12.30 Eastern Time. For us in the U.S., 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. Port and Richmond have played some very entertaining contests in the past. I guess the intensity wasn't quite there, or the closeness, at least wasn't the past couple times. Richmond did work it back to be a 10-point game in round 11 at the G by the final siren, but Port had held that game for a while. Port kicked 10 goals, 17, and they were the first team to win without a multiple goal kicker since the Jack Noon's siren game in 2020, and the first in a game with 20 minute quarters since the Crows in 2019. Zach Butters was Port's best, Miles Bergman had a good game, and Tim Taranto kicked 4-1 in defeat. Was that the holy fuck game? No, uh, just check. That was the game they won against Hawthorne. Taranto kicking four goals, though, was very surprising, and on a day where he didn't have as many touches, it helped me in fantasy. In the nine years that the Adelaide Oval has been the Power and the Crows' AFL home, Port have hosted Richmond there all of those years, including twice in 2020. The round 11 game was the game that really hooked me again on the sport after the pause after round one, and then the 46-40 to wet preliminary final. The game where Peter Laddams punched Tom Lynch in the deck. That was the prelim? I believe so. Right, I think Laddams... I forget if he scored the opener in that round 11 game, but I know he scored a really nice goal. No confirmed changes for the power. Remember, we are recording this where we only have the extended teams for Sunday, but uh, Bryn Teekle and Dante Vicentini are on the extended bench. I mean, there's a world where, you know, if, if the Lions win and it's just a matter of do you go to Brisbane or do you face Collingwood away, Hort could just end up playing like a partial team and sit some guys. I wouldn't be shocked if they made some late changes to do that. I would expect it less given that you have the pre-finals by now. It was still just not having guys hurt. Yeah, Travis Boke is on the bench as well. He came in there too. He and Evans have been subs lately, so we'll see where that lies. We also know that Tom Jonas is retiring at the end of the season. This could be his last game. Who knows, considering how Ken Hankley has been willing to drop his captain. So I would not be shocked to see him honored after this game. They will obviously get one more home contest, considering they're in the top four. But if his selection isn't certain, then there's that. Yeah, it would make more sense just to do it now. Avoid any sort of weirdness. And avoid coming after a home finals loss. We've seen enough finales like that. Just finals loss finales in general. Like Frio getting beaten pretty thoroughly by Collingwood last year at the G. And then still having to carry off David Mundy. He got his finale at home, though with Trent Cotchin and Jack Revolt having played their last games for the Tigers, and Dion Prestia also being managed. You got two youngsters who made their debuts this year in Sam Banks and Jacob Bauer, returning to the 18. Ryan Mansell and Ben Miller are on the extended bench. And then two potential debutants for the Tigers on that extended bench as well. Pick 17 from 2021, medium defender Tom Brown and James Trezise, I think is how you pronounce it. Mid-season draft pick, a an elevation from their VFL list. So something to watch there. I would not be surprised to see another debut in there with those spots opening up after Kacin and Revolt retired. I think a lot more will have to flow through Tim Taranto and maybe Jaden Short as well. I could see him playing on the forward side of the center square in bounces. Would love to see him get another goal or two from long range because he's found that again. Will Bauer do the Harlem Shake? I'd like to leave that in my middle school days. It was a high school thing. It was fun. It was, you know, it didn't last long, but it was, it was fun. Port favored by thirty nine I'm taking, I think they win this one by more. I think they, you know, it's one team that's kind of half playing a VFL squad and one team that's going to finals, even though I don't think Port have a ton on the line here. Most likely, I still think they just go out and win this one by, I don't know. I'm going to go with like 130 to 71. Okay, so a 59. Okay, 59 port margin. We'll take note of that. I think this is a good matchup for Todd Marshall and Jeremy Finlayson. Dylan Grimes has been a bit down as of late. If Finlayson or another one of Port's talls can take Nick Vlostone out of the game, then the others can definitely clean up again i've i've been really happy with flossone's form this year and richmond's best play from the back half usually starts with him or at least flows through him if they're switching sides your middle game on sunday or well still our saturday it's bound to mean something sydney hosting melbourne at the scg this one is your typical 3:20 p.m. local time 1:20 a.m. on the east coast united states 10:20 p.m. for us on saturday although I wouldn't blame American audiences for being checked out after slamming, like, 30 beers during the uh, Vanderbilt-Hawaii game. Ah, yes, Week 0 college football is a beautiful thing, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I mean, FIU Louisiana Tech will only have been over for, like, a little over an hour at that point. I don't know, personally, I think the game to get belligerently drunk during is UMass at New Mexico State. I Well, we know somebody who's going to be watching that game. Oh, yeah, Rick. Yeah, Rick Schiavone, who, as we mentioned, we met this past week, this past Saturday after his L.A. Dragons came up to face the Golden Gate Ruse. He's an Aggie. Yeah, I'm excited for that game especially, you know. What does CTE stand for? Cool teams everywhere? Football. Watch it every day on TV. I think Rick's also someone who would get that joke, so even better. Hope he's still still listening. Anyway, this will be a Fox Sports 2 game. Swans are 12-9-1, they're in 7th after beating the Crows, technically sort of, I guess. I mean, in the standings accounts. I think the Crows have morally made the finals, yes. Any palms in Adelaide should get a kick out of that. These are 15-7, and they're in 4th after their win over the Hawks. These teams met back in round 3, and it was kind of the we-demand-to-be-taken-seriously moment for the Ds, as well as a ooh, the Swans might actually have some problems, a 50 point win for the Demons. They kicked 21 goals, and Jacob Van Royen had three in his debut. He was the first Demon to kick three goals on debut in 31 years. That's kind of hard to believe. Uh, for Sydney, Joel Lamartine's back in the 18 coming off his hamstring injury. Lewis Melikan and Matt Roberts are on the extended bench. I'd like Melikan in there. He's allowed Nick Blakey to do more. And he's also taken some of the heat off Dane Rampey, who admittedly has played better since coming back from his own injury. I would like Malkin and Rampey to get the chance to play together. They've already taken out Aaron Francis, though. So a bit more difficult to find that spot there. This is Tom Hickey's 150th game. He will be retiring at the end of the season. The inaugural member of the Four States Club. And still zero bounces. There's still time. It would be really funny if, like, He's got the ball right at the end of the game and he just takes a bounce for no reason. You know what? No. Give me bounces for both Tom Hickey and Max Gone in this game. I think that's the best outcome here. Max Gone game 201, Tom Hickey game 150. Both bouncing for the first time. Just remember, George Gone has bounced more times than Max. No confirmed changes yet for the D's other than a new sub because Josh Shackey has been left out of the extended bench. Chance for Bailey Fritch to return at last. Remember, he got injured early on in Alice Springs. That's allowed Jake Melcham to come in. And so those two will in all likelihood be in together. But you got to find a way to work in all of Rich, Melcham, and Chandler at this point. Honestly, I think Chandler may end up being the one to get dropped, unfortunately. I don't think so. I and mean, they'll, they'll find a way. Well, they've already dropped James Jordan, so problem there. I, I would hate for Tom Sparrow to be the victim after the game that he had last week. It's, it's a tough call. That's why I'm thinking the Chandler could end up being the one held out finals. You've also got to maybe factor in Tom McDonald as a potential swingman. Between him and Joel Smith, you've got things to figure out in terms of who can be that extra man, either in defense or up front, which of them is the sub. Joel Smith has done really well as the sub in the time he's had there. I think that's got to stay. Also on the extended bench, Daniel Turner, who I think got hurt on his debut last year. And the undefeated king of the AFL at a grand 4-0, and oh, Tajwa Woden. Yeah, we've really fallen from uh, the Jake Bowie and Fry Evans and Dylan Williams streaks. So, we mentioned Tom Hickey, who is retiring at the end of the year. Buddy Franklin is being honored. They'll do a pregame lap for him. Assuming Patty McCartan will also get some recognition. He's retiring as well with the prolonged concussion issues. Uh, Swans favored by 35 I feel like they are going to get that emotional boost from the crowd, but I don't know. I I still, I tip the D's here, but Sydney will almost certainly have more to play for. So maybe I'll switch that one back. Well, at this point, Melbourne will know if they'll be able to move up into third. And honestly, if I were them, I wouldn't want to move up into third if Collingwood are first. I'd, I'd rather press my luck in another game against Collingwood at the G rather than going to the Gamma. I doubt that'll really factor into things, but the out-of-state home field advantage is definitely real, especially from finals time as of the past few years. Looking at the uh, extended bench for the Swans, I will also mention Ryan Clark is there. We saw how well Finn McGinnis limited Clayton Oliver last week, and Al Salty, Simon Goodwin, ended up being about that. I would put Clark in and put him on Oliver again, or maybe even switch him to Christian Petraka. All right, it is time to preview the 207th and final home-and-away game of the season, Carlton hosting GWS at Marvel Stadium. I love that people are complaining about how late this starts as if 6 p.m. on a Sunday is super late. 6.10 p.m. is not that late. Game ends by 9. Unless you have to go all the way to, like, Achuka, your kids will be fine for school in the morning. And if you're not, fuck them kids. Look, think about Sunday night football in America. That starts at, what, 8.20 p.m. local time usually on the East Coast? Toughen up. Anyway, 6.10 p.m. local time, 4.10 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, 1.10 a.m. for us on the West Coast. This is another Fox Sports 2 games. We'll have back-to-back FS2 games to finish off the home-and-away season. My question, how long will they stick with you know, the end of the Sydney-Melbourne game with the teams in the room, or will they show the blessed montage? I'm not sure if they'll show the montage. It depends on how late the game ends up going, because once it hits the top of the hour... 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific, they usually switch. And usually there's like two or three minutes of commercials before that. So I think three minutes before the top of the hour, regardless of what's going on, they'll switch. For those of you that don't know about the montage, I think we mentioned it before. I forget. We mentioned it last year. Basically, when there's filler time after an AFL or NRL game on any of the Fox Sports affiliates, especially FS2, they show this weird like 20... Well, I think it was 2013. Yeah, 2013. Sydney Roosters montage with EDM playing, and it's just, it's become, like, an indispensable part of our lives. There was one other montage recently, though, with some other rugby team that I couldn't place. I think it was still Rugby League. It wasn't any team that I recognized. It was, like, red and white stripes. I didn't think it was anything in the NRL. Wondering if it was some sort of representative side. I don't know, but I've I've been enjoying it. It's you know, we've been watching this for four years, and it's still it's still here, and hopefully, it's here for a long time. The montage. But enough about that. This game could end up being really important, or if the Cats do the Giants a solid, maybe as a thank you for some of the players that they'll end up receiving down the road, because you know anyone from regional Victoria, the place from the Giants, is eventually inevitably coming to Geelong. GWS could have a finals berth sewn up, or they could need to draw or win. And doing that, of course, would, would require them to stop the Blues' 9-game winning streak. Carrington at 13-8-1, they're in 5th, having escaped against the Suns last week, which was a really fun game. I talked about it extensively in our Round 23 recap. Great game all over the Oval for Charlie Cornell. Maybe his best all-around game for the year. Yes, he's kicked huge bags against the Eagles, but He's much more than just an inside 50 target. I like Daniel Gorin's pretending he had ripped his eyelids off. Uh, Giants, 12 and 10, they're in eights having absolutely shitted on the Bombers last week. Record score for them, record margin of victory. Shitted on is grammatically correct, by the way. Three Ds. Not necessarily. It can be with two Ts. Both are acceptable, but it, it's it's grammatically correct. That's my whole point. Um, I don't want to think about this, th- this round three game. Yeah, the Blues should have won by a lot more considering they kicked nine twenty. but the teams combined to kick 1-9 in the fourth quarter, and that one goal was from an arms-out descent call against Steven Canelio. Uh, Nick Newman, that was one of his better early season games, he's been in great form lately, so maybe this one goes under the radar, but he held Toby Green goalless in one-on-one matchups. This will be the third season in a row that these teams have doubled up, and an I remember during our preview, we talked, like, why do they keep matching these teams up? This seems really random and not all that exciting. And Between 2012 and 2019, it had only happened once. And now, three years in a row, are Zach Williams and Caleb Marchbank that important to this rivalry? For Carlton, they've got some major returns, assuming they are going to get some of these guys returning from injury a game, heading into finals. Adam Chera, Mitch McGovern, and Sam Walsh all back in from hamstring injuries into the 18. Corey Durden and Lockie Fogarty are on the extended bench. We know that Sam Doherty will be out. He was subbed out in round 22 from that corked calf, and Ed is not listed. They've got far better options for sub at this point. It's amazing that they've had this streak with some games where he's been the sub. He's had a good career. He's just passed his prime. The biggest surprise to me and something that I'm really excited about in this lineup who stayed in the 18? Patty Dow. Well-deserved. He's You gotta find a way for him right now. I still think he departs at the end of this season. I think the Cats should be going after him with everything they've got. He is a Geelong Grammar kid. Let's go. We move. Maybe he moves back. And with the pre-finals by again, good to get these guys a game ahead of that, especially when you still do have things to play for. Ensuring yourself a home elimination final. You don't want to have to go to New South Wales for that. There's a chance that these teams could just run it back in a couple weeks. I don't think, though, because of the circumstances here, you would have a scenario where, like, these teams are afraid to show their hand. I wouldn't think so, especially for the Giants. That only really happens if it's a dead rubber, and this... If Carlton gets locked into fifth, based on other results, the Giants would be playing for a home final. They still have the possibility of finishing as high as sixth. The percentage is close enough that they couldn't catch the Saints in theory. That the Saints and the Swans both lose, GWS could have a way to finish all the way up in. It. Helps a lot that they made up 7% last week against Essendon. Again, in terms of the Fahrenheit scale, they went from an absolutely normal temperature to a hospital-grade fever. Now, they are most likely going to have the lowest percentage of any final team, but they could end up better than the Saints. The Giants will be celebrating Stephen Canelio's 200th game. So he joins that 200 group along with Toby Green, Nick Haynes, Lockie Whitfield, Callum Ward's approaching 200 with the Giants. He's already gotten to that point for his whole career. No confront changes for the Giants. I'd expect Ryan Aguin or Nick Haynes to come in in some capacity. They've both been the subs this year. We do know about a couple retirements for the Giants. Phil Davis retired on Monday, as we touched on in our recap, and Dan Lloyd is retiring at the end of the season, so this could would be his last game if things don't go GWS's way. Unfortunate that this is going to be the end of the line for Phil Davis. We didn't get to see him at his healthiest. I hope Phil Davis goes right into media. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes into coaching. Seems like the younger players have really liked learning from him, especially Jason Gilby, who I consider as the authority for, well, everything. I would expect Davis to get some more chances as a commentator or boundary rider on New South Wales broadcasts for seven, as we've seen the past couple years. I like having defenders' perspectives in there because, again, it is so often forwards. Keep Davis on the New South Wales broadcast. Give Nick Nat chances on the Western broadcasts. Just go for it, seven. The Blues are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't see this game as being one decided by a single goal, even with the drama that Carlton have had as of late. I don't know. I could see pretty wide range of outcomes here. What do you say are the keys to victory for each team? I think for both, it's really get good performances out of your defensive depth. Because we've seen for GWS what happens when someone like Jack Buckley has a good game versus a bad one. And if he's in, same goes for Nick Haynes. He's on that extended bench. And then for Carlton, I think like we've seen the importance of Brody these last few weeks. And if he keeps playing well, that really takes them to a new level. Sam Taylor is pretty obvious to get the job on Charlie Kerna. Yeah, that seems like uh, really a no-brainer. And then I'd imagine Jack Buckley on Harry McKay, maybe have Connor Iden a bit looser. I'd like Harry Hilbert to take on Tom DeConey. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah, Hilbert has ended up taking some of those rock matchups sometimes. Went up against Tim English when they faced the Bulldogs, something to factor in there. I think Carlton will need to be pressuring on their half-back flanks really well trying to restrict the impact of Toby Bedford and Brent Daniels. If you can restrict the ground for GWS, even if it means they still have a bit of room in the corner, just the fewer lanes for them to navigate, the better for their opposition. So for the final round of the home and away season, Ethan, who is your main character pick? Does it come from this last game? Nah, I'm going with, I'm going with Tom Jonas. I think he's going to get a goal. There's going to be a really nice moment. He's only kicked two goals in his whole career, I believe, and his second was earlier this year. He's had a couple of good defensive performances in him these past couple of years. You think back to the afternoon game they had against the Swans when they were undermanned in defense. I believe they were without Tom Clurry and Darcy Bird Jones for that game last year, and Jonas really stepped up, had that great smother on Will Hayward that was a highlight I saw again recently. I could see Jonas showing up and setting himself up to stay in for the finals run. My guy to watch... Does come from this last team, and that's part of the reason that I'm saying this. Jesse Motlop. You have so much of the focus on the taller matchups here between the Blues and the Giants. I think Motlop could end up slipping through the cracks in some ways, whether it's getting some live play opportunities on the deck or getting some set shots. If you have a one-on-one for him, I guess would would it be Lockie Whitfield, you think? Because I I wouldn't trust Ash with that. Isaac Cumming hasn't been as strong 1v1 as of late. I think Whitfield would be the right matchup to go up against Motlop. He'd have the size advantage, so you have someone who could run with him. Those two could be an underrated matchup, and just two players to, to keep an eye on whenever the ball is in the Blues' forward half. I, I like the idea of that. You've talked me into it. You've convinced me. Yay! Like Farmer's Insurance, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. I've seen some things, man, and some stuff. I wouldn't recommend it. You know the drill. We're on Twitter at Americansfooty. Grian Harambe's on Instagram, a cat named Grian. Personally, I am at Castle Media. I'm at BenjaminHK01, and I'm watching Grian right now because he's spread out sleeping on Ethan's bed. He has relaxed, finally. We'll see how relaxed he is for other parts of his birthday, which will, I guess, have passed in Australian time by the time this goes live. But still, happy birthday to Grian Harambe. When we make our footy pilgrimage, we will make signs for Grindwars to say, hey, we named our cat after him. Oh, yeah, that's already been established.